Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. It's February 1945, and the Second World War is still raging in Europe. But hundreds of thousands of troops, thousands of miles away from home, have been denied the one thing that will keep their morale high. Their letters and packages from loved ones back home. Where is all this mail? Well, it's in Birmingham, England, where warehouses are stuffed full of millions of pieces of mail intended for members of the US military, US government, and Red Cross who are serving in the European theater. With no spare military personnel in Europe to sort the issue, how can it be resolved? I'm your host, James Patton Rogers, this is Warfare, and today's episode is dedicated to the women of the 6888th Central Postal Directory Battalion, nicknamed the 6888. Braving close encounters with German U-boats as they crossed the Atlantic from the United States and V-1 rockets when they finally got to the UK, this battalion of all-female, predominantly black service personnel lived by the motto of no male, low morale, and sorted 17 million pieces to bring hope and a little bit of home to those on the front line. To help us explore this history, I'm joined by retired US Navy Commander Carlton G. Philpott. Carlton helped preserve the history of the 6888 pioneering memorial projects at the Buffalo Soldier Memorial Park on Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Commander Philpott has spearheaded eight monumental projects, all of which are dedicated to the significant heroic contribution made by black American military individuals and units. As a note to you all, due to the historical period and historical prejudice that we discuss, this episode contains highly offensive racist language and events. But it is an important history, a vital history, one that I know you'll find fascinating. Commander Philpot, welcome to the Warfare Podcast. It is great to have you here and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about this important history. And it's a special time at the moment. There was an announcement recently, a rather special announcement, that the famous writer and director Tyler Perry has decided to produce a new film, The Six Triple Eight, which tells the largely marginalised history of the Second World War's almost all-black, all-female battalion. It's going to be starring Kerry Washington and Oprah Winfrey. But this is something that uh, isn't a new interest to you, Commander Philpott. This is something you've been working on for a very long time. So tell us, when did you first find out about, get interested in the 6888? Before we start, let's correct something. For so long, we said it was an all-black unit. It was not. It was a multi 
ethnic group of women, and some people do not want to change that phrase all black. And it is Mexican, Puerto Rican, and one lady is, has Austrian heritage. Her mother was from Austria and her father was that black. And so that's the truth. When you start uncovering things, you find things that you don't want to, may not be accustomed to. And New York, late 1930s and early 1940s, had the largest population of Puerto Rican immigrants. And about 100 of the members of the 855 came from New York. And the second oldest living one, there's 102, probably first class, Crescentia Garcia is Puerto Rican. And so I want to make sure that's clear and repeated as often as I can. Too often, especially African-American history, is often written by historians and told by storytellers, written with an invisible ink and left out and oftentimes incorrect. So that's a good to have. And I'm proud to say that we have these ethnic groups and all of them should be recognized and give them credit. I got involved with building monuments, I put it, by accident. The Navy sent me out to Fort Leavenworth. I knew my career, active Navy career, basically, for getting promotion was over with. And luckily, I got stumbled into the Buffalo Soldier Project that General Powell did originate in early 1980s. When I came in, got here in 1989, it was still ongoing. And we were able to, with a lot of help, rejuvenate it. And so after they, we finished, we got a Buffalo Soldier stamp. So after we finished the stamp project for the Buffalo Soldiers, I heard about these group of women downtown in Kansas City, Missouri. So I went down, and now I know that they were having a social hour. Now I know that the lady I talked to was Abby Noel Campbell, the executive officer and friend of Charity Adams, the commanding officer. And she told me the story. And I said, well, somebody ought to build a monument to you guys. I don't know what year it was. It was not until 2014 I actually got involved and we decided to focus on the 6888 and all the things fell into place. And that's how the project started. And once it started, it just flowed really easy. The biggest challenge of the 688 was that no one knew about it. The only definitive book that had been written about the 688 was by Dr. Brenda Moore. It was from a sociology perspective. And it's very detailed, and she had a chance to talk to the women when they were much younger. Well, it's it, it's amazing. But tell us, take us into some details about the six AAA themselves. So this was the Central Postal Directory. When were they formed, and for what purpose? They were authorized in November 1944, and they came from about over nearly 40 different locations, military bases in the country. Many people say it was an all-volunteer force. Everybody in the WAC was volunteers, but they were trying to recruit, and they were having problems recruiting, period. And the goal was to get 10% of the Army as WACs. And same thing for the Blacks. Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune and the Civil Rights Organization came up with what they called 10%ers. 10% of the government employees, 10% of the military, 10% of the officers. So out of those about 6,500 Blacks and women in the entire military, from various sources and that type of thing, they came down Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, about 700 of them, a little over 700 of them, for screening, battle training, like how to put your battle gear on, how you climb a rope, and those types of things, use a gas mask, 
plus screening them for overseas duty. That was around November or December of 1944. They stayed there for training. And it was a difficult time. These women endured a lot of racial and gender discrimination before they came in, after they came in, and once they got out. But the commanding officer fought over with all Georgia on the southern border of Tennessee, told the ladies, if you go out of town, you go out of town at your own risk. I can't protect you from what they're going to do to you. And so around late January, early February 1945, they left by train from Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, to go to Fort Shanks, New York. Was there a big change in the way in which they were treated from that point? Of course, when we're talking about Georgia, we're talking about more towards the south of the United States. We know during this time that there was a lot of discrimination against those who took upon the uniform, the United States military uniform. We know that there were racist terror lynchings during this period, and those who returned from conflict after the Second World War were also targeted down in the south. So was there a change in the treatment of the women of the 6888 when they moved up to New York? They only spent about a night in New York. Let me back up a minute. When they authorized women to join and black women also, the recruiting station made it very difficult for them to join. They'd go to one location, they'd send them across town, they'd close the door and those types of things. And once they got recruited, I think one or two were killed. They were traveling the train in uniform. They were mistreated. Even when I came home in 1970 with my uniform, Officer Candidate School was laid at the Airport County, I got a boy out here that wants a tuna sandwich. And so I've had my problems with nothing like the women. And so they, as they travel around the country, some people honor them or salute them. I experienced the same thing a lot of black officers did. So those things happen. Right, I see. So their trip up to New York was ready to get them to the port and then take that arduous, perilous journey across the Atlantic. Yeah, and according to the manifest, that was 738 on board. And you'll see different dates for departure. They boarded the ship on 3 February. I think the ship manifests that it departed New York on the 4th. That's how ships do. Being on board ship, you may board the night, but you don't leave tomorrow, and the log will show 4 February. So across the Atlantic, all Navy ships, not just the Ile de Fleur, zigzagged to avoid the German submarines, and many ships were destroyed. And as I talked to the latest, some got seasick, and uh, they first landed a little over 3,000 miles. They landed in Glasgow, Scotland. From there, they loaded a train to go to Birmingham. And they got off the ships. Some type of bomb exploded near the ship, but never in danger with them. They got a photo of them with their battle gear getting off the ship, helmets and everything getting off the ship. And I imagine for them, it's pretty herring, frightening since they had never been overseas like that. A lot of them didn't want to go overseas. And so they landed in Birmingham late in the afternoon of the 12th of February. Matter of fact, that's, they went to the boys' school, which was not a former boys' school, King Edward's boys' school. And it was not a very nice place to run down, so they had to fix up mattresses with straws and those types of things. And on the 15th of February, they had their first inspection. That's the most popular picture that you see with Charity Adams in the front and a lady behind her. And just for the record, there were three predominant black postal units, 688 and two, the 32nd and the 3rd, that were sent to Fort Huachuca, Arizona. That was a location that many black troops were sent to at that particular time, the Buffalo soldiers and et cetera. 
And let me explain the name Postal Battalion. It took me a while to understand that. Central Directory, like a phone book. Each time a person changed locations, civilian or military, they submitted a change of location cards. Just like you, Mr. Rogers, if you, James, if you went change address, you would change the location card to the post office. But you have to remember that directory has been building for over two to three years. And there was almost 7 million names in that directory. And as Charity Adams says in her book, there were thousands and thousands of duplicate names. So it's not 7 million people that the 688 had a mail for. It was much more than that. They were getting mail still coming in from the states as well. The sorting the mail has been backlogged. Additionally, they often say that they sorted the mail for the troops. When you say troops, you're often talking about army. They did it for all of the military units, civilians, technicians, and government employees in their age. So it wasn't just army that they sorted the mail for. So that's how they got started. That's when they got in England. And so they're ready to go. And the months of January and February, they were spent getting organized and purging the list of duplicate names. Some names did not even have serial numbers on them. Just our four names, just Bubba something of a nickname, and then they had about 7,500 that had Robert Smith or derivations of Robert Smith. So using the service numbers on the change of location cards, they spent a lot of time dealing with that. I can only imagine there's so many Robert Smiths in the UK. I'm sure it took a, a very long time to try and sort through that. And so they came into Birmingham towards the end of the war in Europe. And so actually, hopefully, the, the damage, death and destruction had abated a little bit by then, and it wouldn't have been so bad. And there wouldn't have been so many scenes of death and destruction. But I'm sure that the living conditions were pretty rough. And and the job that they were put to was very hard. It's a, a seven day a week job working, I believe, was it three eight hour shifts? Yes, the army gave them six months to clear the backlog of mail. And I'm talking about mail still coming in. They had other postal units over there. Let me give you an idea. We have a photograph of a 688 lady sitting on top of a stack of mail with large mail bags, not the one that the postal carrier puts on his shoulder. Large mail bags stacked from the floor to the ceiling. And Charity Adams, there was six of those aircraft-sized warehouses so let me try to relate that to your listeners and viewers. Imagine six super Walmart stores. Right. Yes, they are. They are pretty big kind of supermarket warehouses, aren't they? And so imagine those uh, that's from floor to ceiling. And you can see the lady at the top and you can see the black curtains over the windows to keep the aircraft from seeing them work at night. And in talking with the ladies, most of them work more than eight hours a day. In January, the numbers that they saw, it was very, relatively low. I think I saw on the back of the card, less than 40,000. But working those days, they saw that 65,000 estimates, 65,000 average wow. per eight-hour shift. And if you did three shifts a day, that's 195,000. Now, you oh, multiply that word. by 30 days, that's about 5.85 million. And you multiply it by three months, about 90 days before they left Birmingham. So I think that is the context in which you put it in, but that's nearly 17 million. But saying 17 million is not adequate enough. I found a card that in December 1944, a white poster unit 
sorted 624, 642,000 during the month of December. Now, imagine 642,000 or 624,000 in one month for the white postal unit. And the 688 sorting for 5.85 million a month. Now you see the scope of their level of achievement and mission performance. And it must have got to quite a difficult point at that time in the war, Commander Philpott, because this had been mail that had been building up for a very, very long time. Like I said, we're towards the end of the war in the European theatre, but this must have meant that so many young American soldiers had not heard from their families in a very long time. These are care parcels. These are love letters. These are letters from family checking that they're okay. These are so incredibly important to morale, and the women of the 6888 knew that. And you're absolutely right. And that's where their motto came from, no male, low morale. And even some books say no male, no morale. So that we had to resolve that issue. You're absolutely right. And that's what the 688 members being away from home for the first time recognized the value of the male to morale. And just imagine you didn't know that your mother died or your child had been born or your child had died until you got the letter. And when they sorted the mail, each time they touched an envelope, they put their initials on it. And sometimes the same letter came back. So many times they had to put another sheet on top of the envelope. And you're absolutely right, sir. Having been out at sea, 36 days, no mail, no phone call and stuff like that. And I know what it is. A letter becomes very important to individuals. But not knowing is even worse. You're absolutely right. And they did have issues in England. And as a matter of fact, I talked to one lady. Within three days, the weather was an issue also. It was cold in February. I guess it wet. Three ladies went home within three days with pneumonia. And the buildings that they were in have been locked up now for quite some time. And I have a photo that I can see that shows all of the care packages in the boxes. And things were corroded and molded. Oh, I bet they must have had food inside some of those care parcels as well. So that would have attracted all manner of beasts. Rodents, all those types oh. of things they had to work through. And the foul smell... The buildings were cold, poorly heated, and poorly lit. And these ladies had to wear double clothes to be warm. And so that part of the story has to be told. And I'm hoping that the, they're able to tell that, in the, at least part of that, in Mr. Perry's movie. Also, in England, the amount of pressure that must have been on these women is amazing. And so they developed a system that greatly enhanced the efficiency of all redirecting all army mail. And in such, and the director of the WAX, Lieutenant Colonel Anna Wilson said, during their entire stay, only about 12 months in Europe, they broke all records of redirecting mail. And that's another word. People say that they delivered mail and delivered hope. It sounds good, but the 688 did not deliver mail. You go to the post office, you give your letter to the clerk. That clerk does not deliver the mail. She puts it in a box and separates it. And somebody else delivers the mail. So when they say they deliver the mail, that's another common mistake. Absolutely. It's incredibly important to get those historical facts correct. And speaking of which, so it sounds like that the women of the 6888 didn't have the best time during their training. But how were they treated in terms of their race and racism when they got to the UK? Some of them were treated better in England than they were in America. And they were treated better by the British people than their own soldiers and army. And one lady was interviewed, I guess, about two or three days. They flew her to Utah, PBS or whatever, interviewed her. 
And about a year or so later, they called and said, we're going to show your interview. And she called and told everyone and asked us to let our friends know we did all of that. Out of all those days and hours of interviews, you know what they put on the interview? They called me a nigger. That lady cried and cried. She was offended. And she's the one that Tyler Perry is telling the story of the 688 through her eyes. And the person that said that was an American military soldier. And also, there was no problems at the social clubs where the black women went with the white women. But somehow the Red Cross was bent on making one. And they built a separate recreation hall for the women by the time they got to Paris. And Charity Adams said, we will never step a foot in that building. And they never did. And so the American soldiers, troops, and leadership did not treat them right. And the story that you often hear is about the general that wanted to court-martial Charity Adams. Well, tell us a little about Charity Adams. So she was the first of three commanding officers of the 6888. What, what was Charity's background and how did she get to this position of leadership? Charity, I remember she was a math teacher and she got a college degree at Wilberforce. And she was on the drill team, a Rafa team, B.O. Davis Sr., who was a colonel at the time and the father of the Tuskegee Airmen commanding officer. And she was one of the women in the first officer candidate school that graduated in Fort Des Moines. I believe she was the first African-American woman to be commissioned into the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. Exactly right. But there's another story behind that. She should have been the first woman in the United States Army that was commissioned. I have a copy of the graduation program, and her name is first on the list. Wow. Military, you commission alphabetically. Some of the time, from the time that program was typed until the graduation program, somebody made the decision not to commission alphabetically, but by platoons or regiments. I'm neighbors. I may get these army terms wrong. So she was the first black woman commissioned. Ironically, when the lady at the Women Army Museum was very kind and went back and tracked down the first one, the first two or three, all were from Ohio. But that's the story that they do not tell. They trained separately at Fort Des Moines Hour, but they lived and segregated. And so Charity Adams remained in Fort Des Moines as a drill instructor. How she got selected, I have not seen that decision yet. Who made it? Join me, Dallas Campbell, on Patented, a podcast by History Hit, where we bring you the fascinating histories of the world's most impactful inventions. We uncover the exceptional stories behind everyday objects. Snakes and Ladders is really a game about a karmic journey through stages of existence towards liberation. Look back in time to understand technologies of the future. One of the really interesting things about it is that it showed just how hard AI in the real world really is. And we examine unexpected origins. Who or what invented sex? Yeah, fish. Fish were the ones that invented copulation and made sex intimate for the first time. For the answer to those questions and a whole lot more, subscribe to Patented on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
Join me for new episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But lucky enough for the 6888, they, had, uh, they were in safe hands. They had an incredibly competent leader like you say, who uh, had obviously proven herself during the training to be commissioned through that division. But what about the other women within the section? Do we know much about their stories, their background, how they came to be part of the 6888? I can tell you something about Abinor Camelvex. So she and Charity Adams were friends. So that's why Charity Adams picked her to be the XO. I'll tell you about her history. A very prominent family in Tuskegee, buildings on the Tuskegee University campus named after her family. Her father was the first black regent in the state of Alabama. Her brother was a Tuskegee Airman, the first one to drop a bomb during the war. And the other brother was became the medical officer for the 688. He's an army colonel, lieutenant colonel. And there are another one, Gladys Schuster, who formed the National Association of Black Military Women. And right off the bat, I don't know all the individuals, but I all when they came back from the States, many went back to school, went, some joined the military, and some went back to their old jobs. So that's the only two that I can tell you about. Abinor Campbell, talking to her son, was a very quiet-natured person, but very specific about what she wanted. And she do- we couldn't find a grave till the son told me she donated her body to science in Alabama. So I think that's a significant statement to be made. And Charity Adams deserves all the credit that she's getting. Well, yes, of course. It sounds like a life and death of of service, Commander Philpot. And do we know if these women wanted to be doing this particular job, or had they had something else in mind when they signed up for the military? I don't know, but some of them did not know what they were signing up for. And some did not volunteer to go over there to be a part of it. But I have not talked to anyone who regretted going. That's all I can say. I've not talked to many that regretted going. I'm sure some regretted going overseas, loss of family member, maybe separation or divorce or some hardships for going overseas. That's all I can say about that. But they were proud of what they did. And the most common thing I hear when I talk to them now, we thought people had forgotten about us. We left without a parade and we came home without a parade. They left La Havre, France on the 2nd of March, got to Fort Dix, New Jersey on the 8th of March, and some workers say they started deactivating them on the 9th of March. And they had went back their own lives. Nobody gave them a parade when they came back. But when we did the dedication of the monument in November 2018, we gave them a parade on Fort Leavenworth. And the people in the car said the women started crying as they went by the junior high school, the cheerleaders and the band and all the kids out there just cheering for them. And they're still talking about that today. 
And I think that, I don't know whether that answers your question or not, but it's a unique story and sometimes you have to jump back and forth. Well, it sounds like whether or not they wanted to be sorting millions of piles of letters and parcels, they certainly did their service, although perhaps they weren't respected for it as they should have been by the powers at B. But their time it, during the Second World War didn't end in the UK, it didn't end in Birmingham, although it was towards the end of the war. They were moved on to France to ruin. Do we know much about their time in France? Yes, not, a, not much is written about them. They left England because the mission had been completed. Yes. And it should be noted that the army gave them six months, and many theorized that the army wanted them to fail. And uh, they went on to ruin France because there was more backlog mail to sort. The conditions in Rouen, France, were much better than the conditions in Birmingham, the living conditions. And uh, they came in right after VE Day. And in Rouen, France, they went from three due to section to know that the mail load had decreased. Some people say they had a deadline in Rouen, France, and Paris, France. I have not found anything that's at a deadline. In Rouen, France, they went from three due to section a day down to two. I think they were off on the weekends or something like that. So they could, Sharon Adams talks about in other books, that they could tour the land. And the same thing happened when they went to Paris. Now, what's happened in Paris is a unique story in Paris, France, and Rouen, France. German prisoners helped them maintain their cars, buildings, and those type of things, and to sort mail. So when you see men sorting mail, that's probably German prisoners and ruin. And as a side story for German prisoners, they gave them, signed them black nurses because they thought the white nurses and the white German prisoners might have an unholy relationship. And in Paris, France, they found out they had civilian women helping them. And the civilian women started getting sick every day. They were eating a lot because they didn't have a lot of food. And that's why. So Charity Adams decided to feed them two times a day and they didn't get sick. Plus the women, because Paris was so war-torn, they were stealing the mail. And the 688 had to go out and retrieve it. Absolutely. And it shows just how so many ways this job was really, really bloody difficult to fulfill. You got people stealing the mail left, right and centre. You got to chase them down. So it's not just about sorting this process. I think that really does marginalise and trivialise what it is they were doing. They were managing, they were creating entire structures to make sure that this important material got out to the desired people. And they changed the way that the army and the military handled mail. That's a, a significant achievement. And that's, I think, what people ought to understand that. And as a little personal note, my aunt was in the 688. Oh, wow. And she, her name was Alma Philpott. So when I walked in Corporalina Bell King's home, she was the last name that we put on the monument. It got 841 or 855 on the back of the monument. We located eight or nine since then. We have what she want to look at. She said, my best friend named Alma Philpott, are you related to us? I, I doubt it. <laughs> when I finished the project last couple of years, I was going back six generations, trying to find Alma Phil, find out Alma Philpott was born in Jacksonville. She's the daughter of my grandfather's, from my grandfather's second wife. So I was talking about unique things that Providence put together. Men are the human being. When we do things, we stitch things together. But providence put things together. They weave things together. Under the bottom, all the racism, all the challenges that they faced, but on top, it's a neat image. And we need to understand that out of all the challenges that the 680 went through, what they did 
It was neat as a neat image for history, great progress for women in the military, great progress for the army on all the military services. And I think it's a story that's worth being told. Commander Phil, I think that we focus an awful lot on the, the history of racism. It's, it's incredibly important. But but what are your thoughts and, and, and beliefs on this? Does it start to, to marginalize the achievements of these remarkable women as well? One of the things I like to caution people for is that they wanted to always talk about the racism and what they endured as it's something unique. It's unique to Blacks, men and women, even today. Most people, African-American, oftentimes women, regardless of whether they're raised, their achievements are marginalized. And so that's nothing unusual. And when people talk about it, they say, let's not talk, focus on that. The 688 did something else unique. Is that they changed the perception, not just black women, but white women, and what they could perform in the military. If they had failed, I theorize that they probably would not have been so eager to open up the doors and other positions and jobs in the military if they had failed. People often ask me, why did you put the 688 monument at Fort Leavenworth? My first smart answer was because I live here. So, no, but it's the reason was it's located on the ground called the Buffalo Soldier Monument Park. And that ground is at the end of the Civil War when the black soldiers came and the Congress authorized the formation of six black military units, two cavalry and four infantry. One of the infantry, 10th Cavalry, came to Fort Leavenworth. They would not allow them to sleep in the building, so they made them sleep outdoors on that ground. So we call that Holy Historic Grounds at Fort Leavenworth. So seven of the eight monuments our various committees have built is there. Somebody said, why is the 688 monument there? They were not stationed there. This is the reason I give. People often say that the Buffalo Soldier statue should be taken down because it's one minority black killing another minority Native Americans. But they did more than that. They surveyed the panhandle of Texas Fort forest fires. But the significant historical reason for this is that, and I saw this a master thesis, where I think the young man's name was Major Johnson. He said that the Buffalo Soldiers were important because they changed the face of the military because that was the first time that Blacks were allowed to serve and to be recruited during peacetime. Before that, they started recruited after the war, started discharged afterwards. And there's a historical change between the Buffalo Soldiers and the 688. The 688 was the first group of predominant Black women to go overseas. And because of that, and they were successful, that's one of the significant things they did other than the work that they did. And they opened up doors for women, black women, as I see it. But everywhere they went, that was discrimination. When they came, before they lived, went, when they came there, when they came home, and still some of us suffering now, the latest 100 years old, you saw what they did for the national broadcast. This American soldier, all they called me was a nigga. They didn't ask about all the other things I did as a nurse working with the, the sick and burned soldiers. They didn't ask about it. They didn't print that part about her. But Mr. Perry, at least, is seeing the, the 680 through her eyes. I just hope there's an equal balance between entertainment and the facts. I know it's not a documentary, so I hope that we can don't be surprised that it's happened. I think that we need to appreciate all service members but to fight for a country that did not fight for you.
is amazing feat by all blacks and minorities in this country and service. And for, and we talked about historians writing the history of blacks, especially black women, military women, in invisible ink. They don't talk about, I read a story, doing my research, in a military book, it says there was a black poster unit in England. They had great military bearing and marching. They were not very efficient. And they left it at that. But the directors say they broke all army records redirecting mail. They repackaged mail. And one of the ladies, the daughter lives in Houston, Texas, the second lady I met, 680 lady I met, her job was censoring the mail. In the Pacific, the posted people that censored mail had to have special psychological counseling because of the content of the wording. Of course. Yeah, and that is, I'm sure they would have read. And, but they don't talk about that, things that they suffered. Nobody offered them in a psychological counseling. And then no one gave them a, a unit award. They got individual awards, but no one gave them a unit award until Senator Moran from Kansas helped us push through the Army giving them the Army Meritorious Unit Accommodation. Colonel was on the committee. She took the initiative to get the Congressional Gold Medal passed. Yes, of course. And that was by President Joe Biden in March 2022, no? He signed no, he the bill. He didn't present it. He signed it on March ah, 15th. Yes. And so I think that those are the types of things that should be, instead of invisible ink, put in indelible ink. Absolutely. And like you've reinforced, just showing how incredibly competent these women were at their job and achieving amazing feats during such terrible conditions and in terrible hardship, setting a, a legacy for a generation and, and one which I can hear comes across in the passion in your voice, really impacting all the way through to today and pioneering through the role of women in the US military. The six remaining ladies deserve all the honor that they have. I don't know whether you know the story of Gideon in the Bible. I'm not a preacher. If I step foot in the pulpit, lightning probably strike. But Gideon wanted a lot of people to win the war. And as he went along, God kept telling him, you have too many people. And when it's, he says, they drank water, I think the story goes, look at the ones who lapped their water like a dog and look around and let the other ones go. Because those are the ones that alert. And the reason the Lord wanted Gideon to win with fewer army people is that Gideon Ben would not take credit for winning the war. He would give credit to God. And that's the way I've seen it. We found about 16 surviving members when we started this project. And there are six now. The oldest is 103. The next one, 102, 101, 199 is the youngest. And so God took 16 people to tell the world about the 688. And another story, they said, these women were not very intelligent. They had low test scores. Understand the intelligence and capabilities of these women. Dumb women can't set up nothing like that and break those kind of records. Jared Adams formed the first black women band. They gave them a limited time to learn and play the music. He had ladies in that, that I accused of 130. Another black woman, not in the 688, was a, a trained opera singer. The lady in the postal unit out at the Fort Worth was a professional graphic artist. They want to minimize these ladies' intelligence. These ladies were professionals. They gave up their professional jobs. The ones that Tyler Perry, we call her the diva from Vegas. 
for Lena Bell King. And I love Ronnie Johnson too, the oldest one, all of them. Commander Philpot, thank you so much for your time today, to taking us through the, the intricacies and the little known facts about their important military service, and of course, the lasting, enduring legacies of the 6888. I can't wait to see the film when it comes out. Like you, I hope it really does do justice to this important history, and I really hope that one day I get to visit the memorial that you've put up in their honour. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening, but before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at JamesRogersHistory, and on TikTok also at JamesRogersHistory. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.